Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. All right, if you are new, we started just a couple of weeks ago a very short sermon series. We've been studying through the book of John for months. And we took a pause and we started a short sermon series and you submitted questions and we decided as a team, we're going to try to answer those questions. Those of you who are familiar with our church, you know, Pastor Troy Singleton, our executive pastor. But if you've only been around here for a while, you didn't get a chance to meet Pastor Chris Poirier, who helped found this church. And then we sent him out to plant River Valley Church here in our community about two years ago. So we are now at week four, and we are doing this sermon series. The subtitle right there on the screens you can see is Swimming in Stormy Seas. The stormy seas that we're talking about are relationships. And as people in the church start to get closer to one another, as human relationships get closer, you're going to notice differences. Those differences can make the water a little bit rocky. And what we're trying to do over this short couple of weeks is to help you figure out how do you navigate those stormy seas? How do you swim in those relationships when they get rocky? And here's the truth, y'all. This week, we're going to get as deep as you can go in human relationships. We're going to tackle a couple of deep questions. Now, to set up what I want you to hear today, many years ago, when I was a sergeant in the Army's Ranger Regiment, part of my job was to teach scout swimmer the this surface water swimming course and um, course to rangers on how to basically um, start an invasion from the water and i had to teach them about hazardous marine life the stuff that's in the ocean that wants to eat you or kill you i had to teach them how to calculate waves how to figure out tides how to understand the currents and what i tried to explain to ranger students while they were going through that surface water swimming and kayaking and boating course is the deepest waves are always in the deep water you see this on the screen right there It's not the white caps that crash on the beach. If you go out into the deep water where the the ocean is really deep, you get really, really big waves. It's just hard to tell because those waves aren't crashing in around you. And I'm using this phrase on the screens as an analogy about relationships. The deeper the relationship goes, the bigger the waves can become. And the harder they are to navigate, the harder it is to swim in those seas. And we're going to tackle some of the deepest relationships that humans are going to have with one another. And like I've done for the last couple of weeks, I'm going to let the smart guys next to me do most of the talking today. So if you look right there in your mobile app, you can follow along. But I just want you to know, in this room or online, if you hear something on the stage today and it causes you to have a question, right there live today in our live channel on our website in youtube or on facebook you can go ahead and submit a question put it in the chat today live and we'll answer that question before the service is over with we're only touching just the tip of the iceberg there's a ton of resources that you might want to look at and in the mobile app if you scroll to the bottom of this page you'll see a link to a PDF document with news articles, videos, with books that you might want to read on some of the subjects we're talking about. 
So the first question I'm going to send to Pastor Chris first, and Troy, you're welcome to tune in or to chime in if you want. Question number one on the screens is about deep friendships. Should, notice the question very carefully, should I be best friends with an unbeliever? And before you, while you're preparing your answer, I want to read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because the Bible talks about friendship between Christians and non-Christians. It says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now notice he's going to quantify the kind of people that he's talking about. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy or swindlers or adulterers. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. Basically, I'm not saying don't be around people that are non-believers and act like this. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone. Um, I, I just missed part of that last sentence. I, not with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy or adulterer or verbally abusive, or drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. And many people think this means don't take the Lord's Supper with them. For what business it is, is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside. God judges outsiders. And then the Bible says this, speaking of the church, remove the evil people from among you, who are masquerading like Christians. So Chris, would you kick us off? Is it okay to have a best friend who's not a believer? What, why are you always giving me the hard ones? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so. Took it easy from the start on you, yeah, man. Yeah, fair enough. So. This is complicated, right? And you've heard us say this a lot throughout the entire series that not all things are always going to be black and white. And as we look at this section of scripture, we also talk about our brothers and sisters sitting left and right of us. But what does that mean of everyone else that's in our life? Do we have people that aren't church people in our lives? This is the interactive portion of today's. Hey, hi. Um, so balancing that is complicated and we know that it's complicated but let's take a look at some of the realities of what scripture does teach us about our relationships and how important they are we know that jesus is the center of our lives and that should drive us to who we are it should drive us to the people that we surround ourselves with but as also pointed out in corinthians we're called to be part of that world out there mm -hmm. so for me it's a really complicated reality because we put that word best in front of, right? It's like, yeah, we have friends. We have acquaintances. There is a difference between those words. Um, so what do we do with our best friends? The best friend is the person that's our ride or die, right? That you're going to pick up the phone when everything go falls completely apart. If we're followers of Christ, are we going to call up the person that doesn't understand this life of ours, that doesn't understand the realities of the gospel to look for that really deep experience, yeah. it's hard. Some of us have those friends. I know that I have some of those friends personally. So I think one of the best things that's important for us to remember, and we're going to talk about this again tonight, tonight, today, um, when we're talking about being unequally yoked, and we're going to talk about that, yeah. because it's not just about marriage, right? It actually is about all of our relationships. We're reminded in the same section of scripture a little later on that Jesus says, but you should be yoked to me always. 
which means when we are in positions where we can't be, where we're putting that other person yeah. next to us matters. So if we're in a place that's imbalanced, that means Christ better always be in that other side of that yoke, that that's how we rebalance ourselves. That just like we talked about idolatry in other weeks, if we're focused entirely on the world, we're not focused on the kingdom. But if we're focused on the kingdom, we're still well-grounded. So that was a lot of words to say, yeah. maybe. <laughs> well, I'm going to punt it to you now, Pastor Troy, but let's just uh, approach this in increments. Is it okay not to have any friends, not to be connected at all with somebody outside the faith? Is that okay? Is that a good thing? It's okay. Okay. Um, I think you should have friends that are outside the faith. That's how you influence them to become believers. But is it okay to have a friend, not best, but have a friend that's not a Christian? Yes. All right. Now, the problem with this question, as it was sent in, is the word best, right? So yes. your thoughts now. Can you have a best friend? Like, this is your closest friendship on earth, and you're a believer, and they're not. I will say this, you can't have a, expect godly behavior from an ungodly person. Meaning we all know people who are good citizens, they are law-abiding citizens, but they just don't know Christ. And if you are a believer and you're going through some crisis in your life and you need a prayer war, you need somebody that know the Lord, you can call on that friend who don't know the Lord and they can give you some good, worldly, soundly, secular advice to help you through that problem. But it ain't, it's not coming from, from God. It's not possibly where God would, well, I would say no, it's not where God would have for you to make that decision, do this, that, or the other. So that's why it would be hard for me to have a best friend who don't know Christ because some of the things, because I have friends that I'll call, like, hey, I need you to pray for me on this. Yeah. They just say, oh, I got you. They don't ask me what it's about, don't ask me what it's for. They just say, we got you. We could be praying. They don't get in your business. You call your worldly friend and tell them that. <laughs> what do you think they're going to say? Yeah, now everybody's laughing because they know What's how that's going to What's going on? Go. Right. What do you need prayer for? This, that, and the other. That's the difference between it. If you don't believe it, try it. I guarantee you that's going to happen. They're going to ask you details. Your Christian friend is not going to ask you to go in debt. They're going to respect your wishes to give them as much information as you want to give them, and then they're going to take it from there and pray over you and your family and leave it at that. Okay, so let's advance the question a little bit and go to question number two. All of us in the United States live in an environment where there are people around us that are not believers. If you're watching this from around the world, chances are you live in a society where lots of people are not believers, and some of those people have authority over you. I'm talking about a spouse where one is a Christian and the other's not, or you work with somebody who has lots and lots of influence over you, but they're not a believer. Very important question is on the screens. So somebody asks, well, well how am I supposed to trust a person if I'm a follower of Christ and my, my boss or my spouse isn't a follower of Christ, how am I supposed to trust them? And by the way, the Bible speaks directly to this. Romans chapter 13, that chapter is about people in authority. Listen to this. Speaking at a time where the Roman government ruled the uh, world pretty much and the Roman government was very pagan. And here's what Romans 13 says about this. Therefore... Christian, 
you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And the person that you're supposed to submit to is a Roman emperor who calls himself God on earth and who is practicing idolatry and requiring people who are putting people in very, very challenging circumstances. So for either one of you two, how do I do this? When I'm a believer and the person that I am, uh, I have to listen to and has authority over me is not a believer, how do I even trust them? You base it off their ethics and their morals. If they're not telling you to do nothing completely off the grid that doesn't relate to the job that you, they want you to do, then you do it. But as long as it doesn't cross your lines, your, um, your, your boundaries, so venturing into that, you can, you can listen to them. We all have had bosses that didn't know Christ. Yep. So we know from them what their limitations are, and we respect them as the boss, and we do what they ask us to do. And when they cross the ethical line, then you just kind of like ask them the question, hey, are you sure you want me to do this, that, and the other? Just to, to kind of give them a hint that what they actually do is something that you normally wouldn't do. Um, normally wouldn't want to do. I think there's a delineation that's kind of important, and all of us up here have experienced this, and we know that many of you have experienced as well, is there's a difference from having, say, a nine-to-five job in an office somewhere and people that are in service, um, cops, firefighters, military, yeah. federal civilians, state civilians, municipal civilians, that those constructs are kind of strange, right? That we're there a lot of us for the civil service part of it, for the service of our community. And then we're faced with moral, ethical situations that absolutely stink. That might cost somebody their life, right? Their life or, their, or just simply their job, yeah. and that person is then sitting in a position of command. And we've made promises, we've made oaths, and so we have a secular balance against our kingdom calling. And... I think that's where this is important is we need to understand what our Christian ethic truly is, what our Christian moral truly is, but then understand again that there are lost people in that structure. Yeah. Um, and they're going to act like lost people. Um, stand on your morals and your ethics, but sometimes we have to make difficult balanced choices. Um, there comes a time for some of us that that means walking away. And that's something that only each and every one of you can make that personal decision for. And I've known people that have done it. I wasn't forced into a moral ethical decision, but I still walked away from federal service for um, the ministry. And I was surrounded by people that point blank, the other thing is people are going to call you crazy to your face. They're going to tell you what you're doing is stupid, that why would you throw your life away? And that's the reality of the world we live in, that people don't expect us yeah. to live that way or with that level of ethic. So just remember that Hey, this isn't, it's not going to be easy. I'll tell you right now, it's not easy. But that's where your brothers and sisters in Christ matters. And again, where you are lacking that equal yoke. Yeah. Lean on the Holy Spirit. What you've just heard from both of them is you live in a world of unbelievers. You're a Christian trying to practice your faith. And it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect because of the sin and the um, relationships between you non-believers. And Chris, I'm glad you started down this road. Troy, I'd like to give you a chance to add to this. I think there's some people that are asking, okay, well, what happens when my boss, who I have to do what he says, 
commands me to do something that I know the Bible says I'm not supposed to do. Now what do I do? You say, no, I'm not doing it. I would say, no, I'm not doing it, and explain why. Because you look at the, the Shadrach and, the, and the, the three Hebrew boys and Daniel yeah. and so on and so forth as an example of how you defy someone that's in charge of you in a respectful way, yet they will still try to be punished for it, but it didn't work. And you go with that and let the chips fall where they may, but you, you stand on that. Absolutely. And I think that's the important part of that is the follow-up of how you respond matters. Um, because in my same story, I responded poorly one of the first times I had somebody tell me, no, do this because I'm telling you to. I completely disagreed with the individual and I did something that I still regret to this day is I looked at him and I basically said, no, my name's going on that document, so I don't care what you think. And I went back to my desk as a Christian and went, did I just utter that my name's going on that thing, so I don't care what you think? So remember that standing up for your thing, but also standing up and remembering who we answer yeah. to yeah. matters a lot. Yeah. And I share that story because I want you to understand you're going to screw it up. The best of us screw it yeah. up. And Pastor Chris doesn't have all the answers to everything. And Pastor Chris messes up just as much as everybody else. So just remember that when it gets hard, it's going to be hard. But how we respond is how people are going to view a Christian versus just any other person in the office, and I think that's when we talk about witness, super important. Thank you, and I'm just going to point back to something you've already heard now a couple of times, but Pastor Troy said it very clearly. You live and work around people that are unbelievers, and Chris said, don't be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. In fact, that's what 1 Corinthians was telling us is going to happen just a few minutes ago, and you can't remove yourself from the world, so as long as you're in this world, you're going to be around people who don't act like you do and it gets hard. All right, somebody just took us now to the, this is as hard and as painful as it's gonna get, and I tried to put the question on the screens accurately, but keep the person anonymous. All right, what happens if I'm in a marriage and my husband or my wife is not a believer, but I am? Do I have the right to divorce them? Can I get out of it? And there's a, quick piece of scripture that I want to read, but I want to give Troy, you the chance to start, and then Chris, join in after this. First Peter chapter 3 is kind of speaking to this very question in verses 1 and 2 when it says, in the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands so that, and listen to who it's, the, the marriage relationship that it's describing, even if some husbands disobey the word, they may be won over without a word, by the way that their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Deuteronomy 24 talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about this. But Troy, the question is asked, look, I'm in a marriage, and I'm just going to add this in there. I'm miserable. I'm a believer. My spouse isn't. Can I, can I get a divorce? I picked this question to answer <laughs> in divorce as well. I'm just going to give you up my 90 second talk on my wife and I, we got married. I was a believer, but I wasn't fully Christian. And we left South Carolina, went to Kansas to be, 
to Fort Raleigh, and we were there, and she immediately found the church, and she started going. And she was like, you going to church? I was like, nope, not going. And she kept, she asked me a couple of Sundays, and of course, I say no every time. And she just stopped asking me. She left me alone, and she just went to church and did all the, everything that they would have her to do, she did. And just one Sunday, she was getting up to get, get dressed to go, and I got up and got dressed and went with her. And I've been going ever since. And I went that Sunday, I was like, I don't understand what he's preaching. And I said, let's go Sunday school. She was like, her eyes got big. She didn't say nothing. Who she just like, man? And then I was like, we went from Sunday school to Bible study, and she just, and when I was saying, she never responded back. And the reason I picked First Timothy, I mean, First Peter 3 and 13, because Peter is, Paul is saying, I mean, Peter is saying that, that you can't win someone over with your words. You win them over yeah. with how yeah. you conduct yourself, how you carry yourself. So if you have a spouse that's not believing you are, you just live out what God will have for you to live out. They are going to see it in you, and it eventually they'll turn around. Because you're walking in light, they're still kind of, they still got light to look after, and you still don't do anything out of the ordinary, just stay on the, 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 the grind for Christ, and they'll see Christ in you and want to know Christ too. And that's what happened for, for me. That's how I came to know Christ. And of course, nobody here knew that until now, not even Pastor Jeff. Well, um, I know hundreds of examples of what you said, and I've seen that happen in in good Christian wives who have had a massive influence on their husband's faith. Uh, Chris, anything you want to add or a story you want to tell at this point? Well, I think we need to look at the complications of what the gospel tells us, what the scripture tells us that on the issues of marriage, it's, fairly, it's a fairly narrow path that's provided um, in terms of when divorce is quote unquote acceptable that we see in cases of abandonment and cases of adultery are the clearest cut and abandonment can fall into many different categories of physical abuse, mental abuse, et cetera, but where the abandonment line is, is not super clear. Um, but we do see that the scriptures talk about when divorce is and is not acceptable. And that, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that it's not yeah. because in many places where the Bible is fairly gray, we actually have a fairly narrow path to walk here, which makes it complicated. And I think that's why hearing stories like this is a good reminder. And it's also a good reminder that if you haven't heard me say it today, at what point were you ever promised that the Christian walk was easy? Mm -hmm. It's not. It's incredibly difficult. But we have, again, a Lord that literally walks and hears in everything that we do. So I think it's one of those complications of, and I get also that it's not the answer that wants to be heard, is we have to do the hard work of working through things. Now, when we get to a point in that particular relationship that there is just no reconciliation and furthering from God and everything, one may make an argument that you've wandered into abandonment territory. And I think that that's a very valid conversation in some circumstances. So um, I think it's important to remember that when things seem completely hopeless or at least aloof, there's gonna always be an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in that, which means we need to be honest to the relationship. And that all relationships are gonna require work, right? Um, hi, sweetie. 
um, that it's just not easy. Um, but the good news is we have brothers and sisters. We have church community. We have all the different pieces. And as long as we are focusing on the kingdom and really understanding where we're going, I think we're going to ultimately turn out all right. So I know it's hard. We hear that it's hard. But also hear that we are all here to be part of that journey and make sure that the most comes out of the kingdom. Because at the end, if you do wake, he does wake up one day and throws on his pants and everything to go to church. What an amazing day for the kingdom that that is. Yeah, can we just uh, give mad props to the spouses that hang in there and show their faith, not just say it, but show their faith year in and year out. And after years or maybe even decades, God uses that spouse to win somebody else's soul over, and they start to realize that's not natural, that's not possible, unless there's a supernatural God that's at work in my wife or my husband. Um, I wanna pump the brakes for just a second, because somebody just asked a yes or no question, and I feel like we've given them a maybe, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's right there on the screens, this issue comes up, but the issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is, Two people are married. One of them becomes a believer. The other one really wants nothing to do with Christ and wants nothing to do with their spouse now because you became a believer and they want out. Should I let them go? The Bible is very clear on this one. Yes, let them go. Your relationship with Jesus must come before your relationship with your spouse. So if your spouse says, I want nothing to do with this Jesus. I want nothing to do with you anymore. If you're going to follow Jesus, I'm out. Well, they're out. And let them go. But let's say that we both were Christians or claim to be Christians, but it's pretty clear over time that one of us two isn't. And they get to the point that they say, I don't want anything to do with this church or this with this Christ stuff anymore. I changed my mind. Now you've kind of uh, you've switched the, the, the terms of the, you know, you've changed the, the, the rules of the game halfway through the game now. Can I let them go? Or do I have the right to get divorced just because I know I'm married to a non-believer and I'm miserable? And I'd like you guys, as challenging as this is, this is a yes or no question, so to give a yes or no answer. Do I have the right before God to walk? I would look at what are your motives? Mm. If your motive is to get divorced, to get married again, then you, you, you want to get divorced for the wrong reason. And I would use Balaam and Balak as an example. If you don't know, Numbers 22 talks about the talking donkey scene where the prophets come to Balaam and ask him to come and curse the people of Israel. And he prayed and God said, no, don't go. They left, came back, asked him again. He went, asked God, God was like, all right, go. And as he went, the angel stood in front of his donkey three times, and the donkey saw the angel, but Balaam didn't. And I always read that story as one of like, why would God tell him no? Then he told him yes to go, and then he tried to kill him with the angel on the road. Like, what was the purpose of that? And the reason why God put the angel in front of Balaam to keep him from going, because Balaam's motives were wrong. He wasn't going as a prophet for Christ. He was going for a profit, for money, for what he could get from the king. 
So when God saw Balaam's heart and realized that Balaam was going just so he can be rich, that's why the angel was there, and that's the purpose. That was why Balaam didn't see the angels. When he saw the angel, then he reassessed himself and got on board, and then he went, but he wasn't able to curse him. He was only able to bless him. So with that being said, your motives have to be right and pure. So if you do end up getting a divorce, you get a divorce because this person wanted out. You ain't getting out saying, I'm getting divorced to get married again. You allowing this person to leave because they want to leave and they don't want to be in a relationship. They don't want to know Christ. They confessed that. They stated it. And there's no solution in sight. I, I, if you don't mind, I want to just go ahead and point out what we are already hearing um, behind the scenes. We're talking about divorce. But in some of your minds, you may have already rushed to the next step, which Pastor Troy just mentioned, of remarriage. And let's say that you do have the right because your spouse wants nothing to do with your faith. They're walking away and they want a divorce and you let them get a divorce. Does that mean that you automatically have the right to remarry? That's the next question on the screens. And before you two get into answering this question, I'll just read to you what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, because it does deal with this directly. When it says this, but if the unbeliever in a marriage relationship, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases and bound by the marriage oath is what it's referring to here. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. Now, when you see that phrase, save your husband, save your wife on the screen, it's not talking about you changing somebody else's heart. It's talking about 1 Peter chapter 3 that we read a minute ago. God using your lifestyle to touch their soul in such a way that they fall on their knees and they confess faith in Jesus Christ. So just because you were able to, let's say that you are permitted to get a divorce, does that automatically mean that you can remarry? All the easy questions. Yeah, just easy questions today. So the issue in terms of things like this is like we talked about, is it permitted? Well, sh sure. Um, and we talked about a few of the circumstances that that's the case, but we know that, again, scripture actually runs a fairly narrow path here. So what Troy was talking about in terms of heart position, your actual motivations for such, all of these things actually matter because one of the things we haven't talked about yet but is worth at least mentioning here is we have a secular world that surrounds us that has defined what marriage is or isn't by a contractual legal process that is completely separate from what we're talking about. So can you go get married and get a divorce? Sure. There's tons of laws out there and lots of lawyers that would love to take your money and help you through the process of all of those things. But marriage is one of the most sacred institutions before God and that literally we are given the confines of what marriage actually is from the very beginning, um, which means it probably means a lot to God about what that relationship matters. So the motivations that end up in part of that process matter greatly. Um, so in terms of scriptural balance, in terms of what is permitted in terms of remarriage, again, the road is narrow. That adultery, abandonment, and 
high levels of abuse are some of the only places that Christ says, right, you're, you're not supposed to stand the gap in certain circumstances, that God understands what's going on here. And we've seen the exact scriptural where if the other individual's like, yeah, I'm out, peace, um, good luck with that God thing and everything, I think the scripture is very clear about what abandonment looks like. Um, so, yeah, right? Well, at, at what we're doing now is just separating, and I think in many people's minds, these two are not separate. If I can get a divorce, then automatically I can remarry. Whoa, pump the brakes and go read Levit or Matthew 19, because Jesus is very, very careful to distinguish divorce and remarriage. And as you heard from Chris, getting a divorce in a court before a judge is very different than swearing an oath before the God of the universe and then deciding I'm not going to fulfill my end of the oath, which is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 19. So Troy, I got a divorce. Do I have the right now to remarry? I would say after, I would, after much prayer. Yeah, I'm stumbling. Much prayer and get some kind of peace from God before moving forward. Get that peace. And how do you know how God answers you is when you come to that decision and you got a peace about making that decision and in moving forward. And if you get that peace and God giving you his blessings because you got a peace of mind about that decision, I would say yes. But I would consult him first and foremost before just calling someone else and saying, hey, I'm single and this, that, and the other before you make that step. Because you want to make sure you're you in the right place with God before you're trying to connect with someone else and messing up both your lives. But get that peace from him um, and then make that decision from that. Yeah, I can just add here. Um, I did a sermon many years ago on divorce and remarriage. I, before I started that sermon, I said, I feel more uncomfortable on this topic today than any sermon I've ever preached in my life because I've looked at all of the greatest voices in Christianity on remarriage, and they're all over the map on this one, and there is no consensus on this, which means the Bible leaves enough ambiguity to say many really, really solid believers are on one side of this equation and others are on the other side of the equation. Maybe this hasn't um, hit home for you. Maybe you're not married to somebody who's an unbeliever. Maybe you don't work with somebody or don't have a best friend with somebody who's an unbeliever. But I'm convinced the last question is all of us. So what happens if I'm in a relationship and my spouse or my friend isn't at the same level that I am spiritually? And I'm here and they're way down here or I'm down here and they're way up there. How do I do this when my faith is so important to me, but we're not at the same place together, which is kind of what Second Corinthians is talking about, because the great Apostle Paul writes to these people that are definitely not at the same place with his faith. And he says this, Second Corinthians chapter one. I do not mean to, that we lord it over your faith. Basically, we have the right to tell you what to do because our faith is so much stronger than yours. I do not mean that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you and for your joy because you stand firm in the faith. 
And so the last question for you two is, how do I do this when we're not at the same place, not even close spiritually? You do it in love, meaning you still maintain that relationship, you still communicate, and you understand where each other are in Christ. But there's no belittling, there's no just it going all the way in depth to make them feel like they don't know as much as, as you know them. You still, you still show them that, that level of respect. Because all of us have, have friends with different backgrounds that have expertise in different things, and they're weak in other areas that you possibly are strong in. But you all are in the same circle of friends, and you make that work. So you apply the same thing with that to your, your Christian friends, and they're looking up to you for spiritual guidance, and you give it. But at no time do you lord it over them like the scripture says. You just meet them where they are to help get them to where God would happen them to be. Because what I find out finding Christ to be true is that we all have assignments. My assignment is different from just assignments. His assignment is different from mine. His is higher or lower, uh, so on and so forth. And we all have different paths. And with that being said, you're not going to be on the same level. But you all maintain a friendship with people that are not as strong as you in certain areas. And you just make it work. Uh, I was just going to say that if all of you are on the same level, then your life group might be a little boring. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Because different yes. of opinions and also just different life experiences that it's interesting that we as the westernized American church went through a time period that we actually did this thing where churches would take stage of life people and put them all in the same group, right? And there was a period that I looked at that and I was like, okay, cool, you got your young pros over here and your retireds over here, your regular pros here, and we created this dichotomy of people that literally are two to three years separated. And the years that I sat in those groups, some of those groups were great, but at the same time, like our levels of experience was almost flat. And that all of us were like, cool, so you know when this is really hard? And we're all like, yes. And then there's silence after it because none of us had experienced the next thing yet. And then we started attending some smaller churches where it's like, well, cool. The only way we're getting 10 to 15 people together is that that life group is from 17 to 72. Gained so unbelievably yeah. much from those relationships because, you know, those of us that have been in the church forever and a day have heard the, we're looking for that Barnabas, Paul, right. Timothy relationship that there's always someone above you there's always someone below you, that that means that you're never standing still. You have multiple different places on the journey to pull from. And, you know, just to touch on the main thing real quick is the same thing can be true in your marriage and your friendships and everything else of my wife literally had 30 years in the church um, when we met. And I was like, cool, I've been to a couple Christmas services, Easter's occasionally. Um, I've, I've done some Jewish traditions and Passovers with roommates and stuff, but uh, cool, cool story. And then I went to seminary a few years after we got married, and folks are like, well, you're the spiritual leader of your household. And I'm like, she's got like 20 years of... Years. Right, um, and so I'm just kind of catching up. Um, so yeah, with love and remembering where the balance of everything that we talked about from the beginning, all of this is about grace over law and understanding that God is going to honor all of these relationships wherever we are in the journey and it's about that journey. 
I want to save some time for people that send in live questions. Thank you both for your answers on this one. Truth is, every human relationship will have two people that are at slightly different and sometimes significantly different places. If you look on the screens, number two, that bullet on the screens, is when you start to get into a group, chances are somebody's a lot farther ahead of you, or maybe you're a lot farther ahead than somebody else. That's okay. That's actually a good thing because they can help bring you up or you can help bring somebody else up. But not being in a group, not connected deeply with other brothers and sisters, that's not a good thing. So if you're in our church and you're not deeply connected in a life group, we want you to get connected today. If you're in a group and you're hiding behind facts and you just have shallow relationships, you're settling. You're settling for less than what that group could be. The, sec the third thing on the screens is don't settle. Go deep with brothers and sisters. They're going to challenge you, and you can challenge them, and all of your faith will get stronger because of it. But maybe you were listening today, first thing on the screens, and you realize, uh-oh, I'm that boss. I'm that spouse that is not a believer. And... I need to nail this one down today. What I want to do in just a second is pray. Then I'm going to go and open up the app and see if anybody sent some questions in live that we'll answer. And then we've got a, one really important thing that we need to do because today's the anniversary of September 11th. But would you just bow for a second? I want to pray for somebody who's here and that they need to become a believer. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.